I know all about the despair of overcoming chronic temptations. It is not serious, provided self-offended petulance, annoyance at breaking records, impatience, etc., doesn't get the upper hand. No amount of falls will really undo us if we keep on picking ourselves up each time. We shall, of course, be very muddy and tattered children by the time we reach home. But the bathrooms are all ready, the towels put out, and the clean clothes are in the airing cupboard. The only fatal thing is to lose one's temper and give it up. It is when we notice the dirt that God is most present to us. It is the very sign of his presence. That was written 1942, January 20th, to a lady named Mary Neelan, who was in correspondence with C.S. Lewis. And the very simple message there is that when things seem at their worst, look up. Because God's been there the whole time. Just waiting on you. I don't know about you, but I've been at points to where I feel like God has left me. Where I'm at rock bottom. Where there's no way in the world he could want someone like me. I'm covered with sin, with dirt, with disgrace. I'm in despair. I'm shattered. I'm broken. How could he possibly want me? And when I look up for just a moment, he's there waiting for me to just realize it. My old porn footprints comes to mind. You're walking on the beach and you always see the set of footprints with with you with your own and there's moments when it's just a single set of footprints and you ask God why was it here in the hardest times there was a single set and God says my child was when I was carried God carries us more than we could ever know this, the letter here is associated with Psalms 41 through 3. We're going to go through the whole thing eventually. But I want to start there. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And this is David writing. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. How many of the times have we tried to rush God? We didn't wait patiently for him. And he's leaning in, listening for our cry for help. 
We go, oh God, why'd you let us go through that time? Why'd you let us go through that hell? And he says, how do you know I did it just for you? Somebody's watching. See how you come out of it. Because they'll put their trust in God too. But you put your trust in. It's not those who have avoided the storms in life who are the strongest ones. It's those who have went through them and didn't lose faith. Jesus himself was tempted for 40 days in the desert. Faced temptation, stuff that we would have gave into in a second. He strode right through he lived for 33 and a half years. He never sinned. But then took all our sins for his own. It reminds me of another thing that C.S. Lewis wrote. He said that just paraphrasing here. Those who have given in to temptation know nothing of strength. It's those who have faced temptation and come out on the other side untempted. I know that all too well. I didn't realize how strong I really was till I read those words. I grew up in a house of smokers family of smokers. My grandparents smoked, my dad smoked, my brother smoked, all my friends smoked. Everybody around me seemed like had a cigarette in their hand. I've never been puffed on one. I didn't like the smell of it. I got used to it to a point where I didn't realize that I had that smell on me because I was around it so much. There are a lot of people who will tell you in a heartbeat, you don't understand what it's like. You don't understand the pressure that comes with it. You don't understand what it's like to be faced with that temptation. You've never had to deal with it. They don't realize that you have, and you survived and went on through it and just never gave in. You never know the strength of your enemy by giving in. You only know the strength of your enemy by resisting. God calls us to resist temptation and to resist sin. And he knows that we will most likely fail. And that's why he's walked with us the entire time. That's why he has stood there waiting for us to look at him and go, Okay, God, what now? And he says, I've been waiting on that. Take my hand, son. Take my hand, daughter. Let me carry you. song we were listening to this morning by Casting Crowns called Just Be Held speaks of that. There's moments in your life where everything feels like it's too much to handle. The songwriter basically says let go of all that and just fall into God's arms. Trust in Him. 
you'd be surprised of what comes out on the other side of that. God's been waiting on us to allow him to draw us up from that desolate pit. To let him set our feet on a rock and make our steps secure. Think about that. Think about the life of Christ and what he has promised us. That life's not easy. The waves are still going to crash against you, but you have security on the rock of Christ that he has placed you on. That you can withstand the waves. When Peter walked on water, it was only when he took his eyes off of Christ that he began to sink. It's only when we take our eyes off of Jesus that we realize that we are nothing without him. It's when we take our eyes off of him that things start going a lot worse than what we think they're going. As long as our eyes are on him, we know we have a promise and a hope ahead of us. Even if it's not in this lifetime, he will see us through any temptation, any uh, enemy that comes up against us, any hard time that shows up. He is going to carry us to the other side, no matter what. No matter what. To the point that he has defeated death so badly that even if this body gives in and dies, we have eternity in heaven with Christ, so there's nothing to be scared of. There's nothing that we can't face without him. Peter keeps going. He says, happy are those, verse 4, happy are those who make the Lord their trust, who do not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. Think about that. How many times have we put things above God? How many times have we said, oh, I just need a little more money, so I'm going to have to work on Sunday. I can't go to church right now. Or, oh, I don't have time for prayer. I've got to make that next phone call to get that sale. Oh, I don't have time for devotion or study because i got to get up early and go get those extra hours. You're putting money and work and a job above God. And the funny thing is, is what I found out more and more through my life is when I put God first, all that will come if he wants it to. And it'll come a lot easier than you think. When you've done everything possible to secure your finances and you're still bouncing check after check after check, and then you say, you know what? I'm putting it on the altar. It's God's bank account, not mine. And you stop bouncing checks and you really didn't change anything else other than saying God's first. To change your attitude. So why don't I put God first in everything? That's not an easy thing to do. I know it's not. I fail miserably at it from time to time, probably more often than I'd care to admit. But we have to be willing to put God first. Get away from those false gods. And then it says, Happy are those who make the Lord their trust who do not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. It says, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. 
none can compare with you were I to proclaim and tell of them they would be more than can be counted. How many blessings have God given you in your lifetime? I can't count them. I can start and try and I know I'll forget some because God has blessed me so many times I can't count them. He has done that for you even if you don't realize it. Some blessings seem bigger than others. Some may seem very small and minuscule, almost like, is he really the one who blessed me? Statistic out there says, if you own a car, even if you're making payments on it, you are in the top 15% of the wealthiest people in the world. Maybe not in this country, but in the world. Top 15% just by owning a car. Tell me God hasn't blessed you by putting you in a society where that's common. Having just fresh running water is such a blessing. There are so many countries around the world where missionaries have to come in and drill a well and then the whole community has to come to that well to get fresh water. can't even start to count the blessings God has given us. Just by being in this hemisphere, He has blessed us. The whole Western Hemisphere is more blessed than most of Africa. And there are some countries that have better setups than others. But think about it. God has blessed us so greatly just by allowing us to be where we're at. David points this out, and I never really thought about it until I was reading it. It says, Sacrifice and offerings you do not desire. God doesn't care about what it is you have to offer Him. But you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings, sin offering, you have not required. Then I said, here I am. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. That's what he wants. He wants our presence in him. He wants us to go, here I am. He doesn't care that you say, oh, I want to offer all my skills and my abilities to God. They're His anyway. He gave them to you. Think about that. Oh, I can sing for God. He gave you the voice, the ability. I can write for God. He gave you the knowledge and the experience with words. I can work with my hands, I can farm, I can do this, I can do that, I can do whatever. He's the one who gave that to you. Think of it like this. It is like a small child 
going to its father and saying, Daddy, give me sixpence to buy you a birthday present. How many of us have had a child say, Mama, Daddy, can I borrow some money? And they go and buy you something with it. You appreciate it. Right? You're, you're glad because they were thinking of you. That that's really all you wanted. That's how God is with us. We are little children to Him. And we're sitting there going, I can give Him this, I can give Him that, I can do this, I can do that. And it was His to begin with. He loaned it to us. Doesn't mean he, He's not grateful for it. Because like any good parent, He's going to accept the gift because where it came from was love for Him. That's the question. Do you have love for God? Is your heart for God? David messed up so many times in his life. Adultery, murder, conspiracy to commit murder. Adult, uh, well, I already said adultery, but you know, polygamy. He had multiple wives. Backstabbing, double dealing, everything else. And he was still a man after God's own heart. Because certain people were there reminding him, mm, hey, buddy. And he's like, ooh, you're right. Why don't I stop doing that and go pray to God? And he did. And he had this great idea that was given to him by God to build a temple. That he wouldn't see completed. His son would complete it. But he had a heart for God. So whatever you're doing in life, have a heart for God. And then share God with others. And that's one of the things that God wants us to do is to share what God has done for you with others. Share those blessings with others. Share what he's given to you. David writes this. He says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. See, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your saving help within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. The great congregation is everyone around us. Shakespeare said the world is a stage and we are mere actors. Then why aren't we telling the audience that's around us about God? Let's do that. Let's share what God has done for us. Let's share His salvation. Let's share His faithful love. Let's share His faithfulness. Let's share all His blessings. The news of deliverance. We have to make sure we're sharing that. That starts with our pleading cry to God. And David put it this way. He said, Do not, O Lord, withhold your mercy from me. Let your steadfast love and your faithfulness keep me safe forever. For evils have encompassed me. 
without number. My iniquities have overtaken me until I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails me. David's not just pointing to the people who are around him who are turning against him. He's pointing to himself. He's pointing out his own faults. How easy is it for us to point the finger out to the people around us? Oh, it's his fault. It's her fault. It's their fault. We have to remember, sometimes it's my fault. Probably more often than not, it's my fault. My iniquities have overtaken me until I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, chain of life. And my heart fails me. And then be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let all those who put to sh let all those be put to shame and confusion who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say. David says, call them out on them. Call them out on them. And then let God deal with them. It's not your turn to get vengeance on them. That's God's responsibility. It says, David finishes up, he says, But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help, my deliverer. Do not delay. Oh, my God. Remember to pray for those others. Even if your enemy is the one seeking after God, pray for their salvation. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. David didn't discriminate against him. He, he prayed Saul would turn and trust in God again. He desired a relationship with his best friend, Jonathan, who was Saul's son. He desired for his wife, who was Saul's daughter, to trust in God. Pray even for your enemies that they would trust in God and seek His salvation so that they can say great is the Lord. And Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessings you've given us. Thank you for this message that you have brought to us, Lord. I ask that you Put it on our hearts so that we can carry it out into the world with us, Lord. I ask that you put a hedge of protection around everyone who's facing the upcoming storms that don't have a warm place to go, that they might find mercy and grace from someone so that they can be safe and that they would see that act as one from you. They could turn their trust and their heart 
towards you, Lord, and give themselves over to you. Lord, I ask that you give us the grace and mercy to go out from here carrying that message of salvation and hope and steadfast love to all those that are around us, Lord, so that they can see that no matter what trials we face, no matter what hardships we go through, no matter what downfalls we might find ourselves in, we know that you are standing there waiting for us just to reach up and take your hand, Lord, and give us the strength to recognize that it is you that has carried us through so many, so many tribulations. Lord, I ask that you bless this congregation, each and every one of us, as we go out from here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.